Would you all open with me to Proverbs chapter 2? Proverbs 2 will be our scripture reading before the preaching in a few moments. Hear the words of Solomon inspired by the Holy Spirit. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. This is the word of the Lord. Would you stand with us once again and let's sing How Firm a Foundation. Ye saints of the Lord Is laid for your faith In his excellent word What more can he say Than to you he hath said To you who for refuge To Jesus have fled Fear not, I am with thee O be not dismayed For I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy path 
shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose I will not, I will not desert to his boast That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake Amen. Please be seated. Well, today I'm starting a series in the book of Proverbs titled, Living Wisely in God's World. We'll look at it this week and next and then throughout the Sundays in July, if the Lord so wills. Living Wisely in God's World. Now, let's remove God from that title for just a moment. Living Wisely in the World. What would the world say wise living looks like? What would they say is the best, the very best way to live? Well, words come to my mind like autonomy and authenticity. You decide your own reality. Whatever you do, don't conform to the standard of others or the expectation of others. Be whoever you imagine yourself to be. And then be true to your own standard of morality. That's certainly the message not so subtly fed to our kids from Disney and Marvel, right? That is the, quote, wisdom hammered home at every level of education from preschool to Ph.D. I mean, let's admit it, the technological advancement of our culture is mind-blowing, and yet we still lack wisdom. We have more information than any previous generation, an endless stream of it in a handheld device. But wisdom is still rare. The worldview of most people today goes something like this. Well, my brain tells me that it is totally trustworthy, and I should always believe what my brain tells me. Really? That is fundamentally and completely wrong. And I'm very aware that that sounds incredibly arrogant to say that in today's culture. And it would be arrogant if my brain was my authority, because what right does my brain have to say that your brain is wrong? But as Christians, we submit to a higher authority, don't we? The Bible, God's Word to humanity. So today, we're going to see how God defines wise living. Now, hopefully, in preparing for this, I've learned one or two things from Proverbs. And Proverbs is full of contrasting Proverbs. You have line A and line B. Line A is this. Line B is not line A. Okay, so we're going to start out as we answer what wisdom is by telling you what wisdom is not. Okay? Wisdom is not these things. What wisdom is not? First of all, wisdom is not 
contentment and complacency on the path to destruction. Wisdom is not contentment and complacency on a path to destruction. I'm going to throw some Proverbs at you pretty quick. Hopefully you can write them down or check me later. We'll send them out in the Tuesday takeaway. Proverbs 1.22, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Or in verse 32 of Proverbs 1, for the waywardness of the, the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The opposite of a wise person is a fool, but we're going to see in Proverbs that not all fools are created equal. Fools exist in varying degrees of foolishness. The basic fool or the novice fool is the naive one that we see in these verses. They're simple-minded, clueless, just not very bright. And God's Word warns us that sin is deadly. And everywhere we look around us, there is abundant evidence that sin is deadly. From the homeless drug addict to the suicidal celebrity. Sin is deadly. It's screaming at us, and yet... The naive fool ignores these warnings and refuses to change course. Listen to Proverbs 27, verse 12. A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Did you know animals have more sense than fools? Some of you are aware that I spend a whole lot of hours observing deer activity and deer behavior. And I know the moment a deer catches my scent. <laughs> Unless, there are naive deer, okay, they're called yearlings, and lucky for them, they're not what I'm after. But if a mature buck catches my scent, he immediately locks up, pauses for a moment, and then very quickly and quietly turns and disappears the other direction as my heart sinks. If it's a mature doe, she'll lock up and try to pinpoint where's the scent coming from. She'll start bobbing her head and stomping her foot. And then the part I really hate, she bounds off loudly through the woods, snorting, letting everybody know there's a monster in the woods. And so I say animals in their basic instinct have more sense than fools who are content to stay on the path of destruction. The second thing wisdom is not. Wisdom is not contempt for counsel and correction. Contempt for counsel and correction. We'll be spending a lot of time in Proverbs 1 verse 7 and the second part of that verse says fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or in chapter 1, verse 22, fools hate knowledge. But listen to Psalm 12, or sorry, Proverbs 12, verse 1 and verse 15. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So here we move from the naive to the standard mid-level fool. And what characterizes him? Proverbs says a hatred for or a despising of instruction, counsel, discipline, correction. Now when you and I hear hate or despise, we think of an emotional reaction, don't we? 
That's not exactly the Hebrew concept. It simply means they see no value in it. Proverbs 1, verse 24 Proverbs or or wisdom cries out, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. I offered myself to you, but you didn't pay attention. Wise counsel, wise correction is meaningless to the fool. It's irrelevant. You see, the naive can still be helped. They may eventually listen to wisdom, or they may learn the hard way and go looking for wisdom. But the fool, Proverbs says, you can try to beat sense into them with a broom handle. They're not going to get it. Or, as my favorite comedian Brian Regan puts it, try as hard as you can, it's not getting in there. Right? Truth just ricocheting. Because the Hebrew translation for fool also means dense or thick-headed. They can look right at the precious jewels of God's truth, and they see no value. There is a treasure chest of truth, and they turn to their friends and they say, Hey, you want to go dumpster diving? Maybe we can find some aluminum cans to exchange for a few cents when they have treasure right at their grasp. Ignorance isn't necessarily wrong in Scripture, but a stubborn refusal to learn is. And a stubborn refusal to value counsel and correction hardens a fool into a scoffer. And this is the highest rank of fool, a scoffer. At this point, it's practically hopeless. They are convinced of their own correctness. Their way is right in their own eyes, and they have no tolerance for being troubled by truth. If you want to see a perfect picture of the scoffer, go to the Gospels or the book of Acts. Look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A third thing wisdom is not is the pursuit of evil and wickedness. Proverbs 10.23 says, Doing wickedness is like sport to the fool. Or listen to Proverbs 4, verse 14. For her profit is better than the profit of silver. Sorry, that's 3.14. 4.14, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And then in verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So Proverbs 2.14 says the fool delights in doing evil. Proverbs 10.23, it's fun. It is sport to them to do evil. And chapter 4 says, a fool craves doing what God hates even when it destroys them. Now, some of you here, Proverbs say, the fool despises wisdom and instruction, and you're thinking rightly, well, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be wise. 
So here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll study theology and Christian living. I'll buy books. I'll attend conferences. I'll watch and listen to lots of sermons. And those things are good, but please hear me. The love of learning is not wisdom. The love of learning is not yet wisdom. And others say, well, of course learning isn't wisdom. It requires doing. It requires action. And you read Proverbs and you see, okay, the fool is lazy, the wise is hardworking. The fool vents his anger, the wise controls his tongue. The fool is greedy, the wise is generous. The fool stirs up trouble, the wise man makes peace. The fool is unfaithful in his relationships, the wise is faithful. The fool is proud, the wise is humble. And you say, I don't want to be a fool. I'm going to grit my teeth and discipline myself to do all these things that Proverbs says is wise. Well, self-discipline is good, but there are a lot of self-disciplined fools. You've not yet arrived at wisdom when you achieve self-discipline. All right, we've seen what wisdom is not. I hope you're ready to see what wisdom is. And we'll work from the general to the specific or the general to the ultimate wisdom. A basic definition of wisdom in general would be simply a right application of knowledge. A right application of knowledge. A wise person acquires knowledge, and then they apply that to life with skill, with competence, with expertise. But you could be an expert in auto mechanics or architectural engineering or musical theory. And you can skillfully apply that knowledge in repairing your car or building a skyscraper or composing a, sympathy, a symphony and still not be wise. Because to be truly wise, you must discern what knowledge is most vital to gain and apply that. There is a knowledge that supersedes, that encompasses all knowledge. There is a truth, capital T, that defines all reality and is therefore necessary for real wisdom. And that truth, that reality, is God. Thus the title of my series, Living Wisely in God's World. Would you agree with me that it's foolish even painful or deadly, to defy reality? Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say I'm working up on the roof of this church building, and I jump off the roof rather than using the ladder or the lift, thinking that I will float to the ground. How's that going to go? See, the problem is I'm dealing with earth gravity, not moon gravity. I live in the reality of earth. I'm going to end up in the hospital because I jumped off a roof on earth, not the moon. Or let's say I'm driving home today from church and I choose to pretend I'm in England. And so I'm going to drive down Mud Pike on the left side of the road in defiance of our U.S. traffic laws. First hill I come over, that's probably going to cause problems if there's any oncoming traffic. I live in the United States, the U.S., not the U.K. So despite what our foolish culture is desperately trying to convince us of, we cannot just create our own reality by brute choice. 
We exist in a reality that has already been created. And we need to understand the designer and his design to live in that reality with skill and with competence. The shortest, simplest definition of true wisdom would be this. You can probably think of a better one, but mine is knowing God and living accordingly. That's what we're going to find in Proverbs. True wisdom is knowing God and living accordingly. The most important knowledge possible, rightly applied to life. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I mentioned this is one of those contrasting Proverbs. Line B contrasts line A. We've already seen line B that fools despise wisdom. The opposite of a fool is a wise person. And the starting place for all true wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Or listen again to Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, let's unpack this phrase, the fear of the Lord, and please, let's not assume we know the meaning of that. This is the thesis statement for the whole book of Proverbs. If we get this wrong, there's no point going further in the book. The fear of the Lord. Solomon's not the first one to use this phrase, so we need to let previous Bible writers help us define it and understand it. Let me get a couple of misconceptions out of the way right now. First of all, fear of the Lord is much more than an emotion. There is emotion involved, but it is way more than that. And second of all, fear of the Lord is not a negative emotion. It's not a cringing dread. It's not what I felt about my drill instructor in boot camp. Okay, My daily goal was to be completely unnoticed by my drill instructor. The last thing I wanted was to be the object of his attention, because that usually ended in a long string of profanity and humiliation. So I was just hoping he didn't see me. That's not what we're talking about with the fear of the Lord. I I just hope God doesn't see me, leaves me alone. There are at least four biblical truths required to rightly understand this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And they all have an R to help you remember. Sorry. Four biblical truths to understand this. First of all, the fear of the Lord starts with revelation. Revelation. We must learn who God is and what He requires. When Solomon says the fear of the Lord, he uses the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh. That's a big arrow pointing us back to the first five books of the Bible. God the Creator, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Mount Sinai. That God. Okay, the fear of the Lord is not some vague higher power that we create to cope with reality. He is a specific being who has revealed Himself. So let's go to one of those first five books, the book of Deuteronomy, quickly. Deuteronomy 4, listen to verse 10. 
Deuteronomy 4.10, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and they may teach their children. They needed to hear the law. They needed to hear the, the description of God's character and the commands of God to fear Him. In fact... When Solomon, our writer of Proverbs, became king, he had to obey the command of Deuteronomy 17. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 and 19. Deuteronomy 17, 18 and 19. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. Solomon had to copy the entire law by hand on a scroll and then read it every day. Why? To learn the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord starts with learning revealed truth about God. And in the Proverbs, we learn much about God. He carries out justice on evil. He sees our hearts. He weighs our motives. He sovereignly rules over our lives. And Solomon will call us to rightly apply these truths about this God to real life. So the fear of the Lord starts with revelation, and then comes a response of humility. Going back to Proverbs again. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Do you hear that? The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord and humility go hand in hand. Humility is part of the fear of the Lord. You have learned who God is. You accurately compare yourself to Him, and the result had better be humility. That's why learning the fear of the Lord is a bit painful. Because it means the death of our pride and the death of personal opinion. As one writer put it, and this struck me, humility says, God, I'm not laughing at you anymore. I'm listening to you. What do you want to teach me? Where are you at this morning? Are you laughing at him? Or are you listening to him? So the fear of the Lord starts with revelation, responds in humility, and then next, third, it responds in obedience. Proverbs 8.13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Or Proverbs 3, verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So the fear of the Lord is hating evil, turning away from evil, or positively, Let's jump back into the Psalms just a little bit. Psalm 128, verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. So fear is hating evil, turning from evil, and positively walking in God's ways. And then fourth, the fear of the Lord is a reverential relationship with God. A reverential relationship. 
While we're in Psalms, just look at Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Forgiveness leads to the fear of the Lord. The psalmist recognizes the holiness of God, the need for forgiveness. And that produces a reverence and at the same time a rejoicing in the provision of forgiveness. Or listen to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, going way back in the Psalms, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. Hmm. That combination of the secret of the Lord and the covenant of the Lord speaks of an intimate relationship. The fear of the Lord leads to friendship with God. The fear of the Lord is an appropriate reverence for all that God is, and it produces a desire to know Him even more. I think it's how a serious rock climber feels about El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, or a serious mountain climber feels about Mount Everest. There is a deep reverence to approach that mountain or that rock face, and yet there is a deep, inescapable desire to experience it, at least for those who like those things. I have no desire. All right, I hope now we have a better concept of the fear of the Lord. As we begin by learning more truth about God, we feel a growing reverence for His frightening power and purity, and then we are humbled. And that produces a willingness to risk being taught and being corrected by Him so that I might better know Him and live to please Him. And Solomon says this is the beginning of wisdom. Again, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the starting point, but don't get that wrong. It's not a starting point that we leave behind and, okay, now we're going to move to more advanced wisdom. No, it's a starting point in terms of a whole new beginning. Wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is both a doorway to ultimate reality and a pathway through that real life. It's a new mindset. It's a new worldview through which we understand and interpret and make sense of the world and interact with it. It is the foundational truth, the controlling concept that makes sense of everything else. Over the last two semesters, I was meeting with a student at Virginia Tech, and we would meet on the fourth floor in the library, the study floor. And I would walk in, and you talk about intimidating I'd walk in, and those students would be sitting there, their computer's open, and they're working on an equation that is literally a whole page long. Looks like Egyptian hieroglyphics to me. My, my heart is struck with terror just seeing this equation. Do you know what? Every one of those students started with 1 plus 1 equals 2. I never got beyond that, but they did. <laughs> 
They start with that, but they never leave behind those basic math principles, do they? They don't say, okay, I've got that, don't need that anymore. No, they simply grow in their skill to apply those principles to more complex equations. Wisdom starts with God and then examines all of life in light of Him. That's the difference between Proverbs and the wise sayings of other cultures. Solomon connected God with real life. What is the connection between God and government? What's the connection between God and wealth or God and poverty? What's the connection between God and work ethic? What's the connection between God and marriage or sex? What's the connection between God and parenting or God and friendship? What's the connection between God and how we talk to one another? Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. True wisdom is always taking God into account. His character, His commands are the primary factor of every decision, every action in life. And that means that the man or woman who has no fear of the Lord has no hope of ever living wisely. They haven't even reached the starting line. They're on the wrong course altogether that will lead them to destruction. All right, so we've spent a good bit of time strengthening our understanding of these concepts of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. You know, often a picture, right, or a real-life example is more helpful than pages and pages of explanation. Hmm. Where, where could we go to see a real-life display of perfect wisdom? The Apostle Paul says of Jesus Christ in Colossians 2.3, "...in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Jesus is wisdom embodied. His is the wisest life ever lived. I mean, don't we see all the qualities of the fear of the Lord that we looked at earlier? Don't we see those in Christ? We see the place of Scripture, of revelation as His final authority. He dismisses the devil with, it is written. He rebukes the hypocritical religious leaders, have you not read? We see His humble submission to the Father. He said, I do nothing of my own initiative. And in the garden, Father, not my will but yours. We see... Faithful obedience to the Father. He said, my food is not to, do the, not to do my will, but the will of my Father. My Father is working till now, and I am working. And we see an intimate relationship with the Father. Last week in Mark 1, we saw the priority of His fellowship with the Father in prayer. Jesus would often say, the Father loves me, and He is showing me all that He's doing. As the embodiment of wisdom, Jesus was able to resist the tempter, ignore the flatterer, ignore the scoffer, and just resolutely do God's will. 
He always knew the right thing to say in every situation. His emotions were always appropriate and under control. He always dealt righteously with different people in different circumstances. He always was doing the Father's work, never wasting time, and he is the most shrewd man who ever lived. No one ever outsmarted Jesus. So if you want to see Proverbs actually lived out, go to the Gospels and study the life of Christ. But not only does Jesus embody wisdom, He also enables wisdom. In fact, He's our only hope of ever being wise. When we read Proverbs, right, we hear these descriptions of a fool. I don't know about you, but I like to imagine He's talking to somebody else. (laughs) But the harsh reality is we're all born fools. Fool is our natural state. Go with me as we wrap up to Romans chapter 3 again. Brother Anthony read earlier. Romans 3. Let me read again verses 9 to 18, which are taken right off the pages of Proverbs. Romans 3, 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Everything Paul describes is portrayed for us on the pages of Proverbs as the characteristics of a fool. We are not naturally righteous. Any of you who've raised a two- or three-year-old knows that. I say two or three. It just depends on when the sin nature kicks into overdrive. He says there's none who understands because none seeks God. We all ignore Him and avoid Him and pretend He doesn't exist and make fake imitations. Our tongues are poisonous, whether it's lies or slander or criticism or cursing. Our speech is deadly to other people. And our feet are swift to do violence. We won't hesitate to throw somebody else under the bus to protect or promote ourselves, will we? And lastly and most damning, there is no fear of God before our eyes. God is irrelevant, unimportant. I see no value in Him. Do you see how Paul takes us from our mouth to our feet and back to our eyes? We are fools from head to foot. And that's not good. Because listen to Proverbs 13, verse 13. Keep a finger in Romans. We're going back there in just a sec. Proverbs 13, 13. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. The one who despises the commands of God will be in debt to them. You see, God's commands are non-negotiable. Obey or judgment. 
And the fool, year after year, just disregards those commands. And year after year, they are racking up a debt of justice to those commands that must be paid. But the good news in Romans 3 is that Jesus lived a life of perfect wisdom so that He could offer Himself a substitute. He could pay the debt of justice that our foolishness owed. Going back to Romans 3, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. There's that bad news again. God's law does nothing but expose the debt we owe to God for disregarding and disobeying Him. The law silences all our boasting that we are good enough. And it silences all our whining that justice isn't fair. But once the law silences our mouths, we're ready to hear good news. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God, as the righteous judge, if we went on reading, He he couldn't simply overlook our debt. Justice had to be carried out. And Jesus offered Himself a substitute sacrifice, took all of my foolishness and all of your foolishness on Himself and suffered the justice we deserved. And once that debt is paid, all who will turn from their foolishness and trust in Christ And His work for them, the Father will declare righteous and wise. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom and righteousness. All of us in this room are the same in that we all started as fools. And maybe until this moment, you're still living as a fool. You are living as if God, the great inescapable reality, is irrelevant. But it's not hopeless yet. Proverbs is in the Bible because God is calling us to listen and to learn. And whatever level of fool you might happen to be, whether a naive young person or a hardened scoffer, It's not too late. How do I know that? The Apostle Paul was a scoffer. He blasphemed the Lord Jesus Christ. He violently pursued the followers of Jesus. He held the coats of men who shed the innocent blood of Stephen. But Christ humbled him and changed him. And there's hope for any of us. You know, if you think about it, those points we saw earlier about the fear of the Lord could also be a perfect description of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear the revelation of truth in the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death for sinners. Suddenly you see your danger before a holy God and you respond humbly. And then you respond in obedience 
turning from sin and trusting Christ, and that results in a reverential relationship with God. And I'm telling you, you can respond that way to what you've heard today. You can become wise today. And if you're not sure how to do that, please come find me as soon as this meeting is over or turn to somebody in the row next to you and ask them. And if you've already done that, if you've already put your faith in Christ, good news, you're already on the path of wisdom. You're already wise. It's just a matter of growing in skill, growing in competence to live a beautiful life that honors God and blesses others. Let's close in prayer and ask the Lord's help in this. God, yet again we marvel at Your mercy, at Your grace, and Your incredible wisdom that You would give Your perfectly righteous and wise Son to pay for our foolishness and our rebellion. Father, Your Son promised that if He be lifted up, He would draw many to Himself. And God, I pray this morning that the beauty and the wisdom and the righteousness of Christ would draw sinners in this room to Him. That they would leave this place changed, wise, righteous in Your sight because of the work of Your Son. And God, for those of us who've already placed our trust in Him, Lord, There's a lot of days we don't feel very wise. We can be so gullible with deception. We can be stubborn at times. But oh, by your Holy Spirit, would you faithfully lead us on to greater skill in discerning error and obeying truth. For the glory of your Son and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.